And so I hope you can see the illustration as you apply it to to a ministry that the trellis is not the most important thing. The vine is the most important thing. The fruit is more important than the trellis. So the trellis should only serve as a function to promote good growth. I'm Brandon Briscoe, and welcome to another episode of The Postscript, Living Faith Bible Institute's weekly podcast and YouTube series devoted to interviewing pastors and professors from LFBI and across the Living Faith Fellowship. Now, in God's family, there are many different types of churches, churches with different cultures, methodologies, different kinds of approaches that they take. Uh, oftentimes, they, they build those cultures around the community that they're investing in. And, and so every church, every local church is incredibly unique in God's eyes, and it should be that way. That's what makes them effective. We're all striving. Every church is striving to live out the Great Commission and to spread the gospel to the communities around them and across the region and across the whole world. We know that that's our mandate. Now, among these many different kinds of churches, in order for their work to be sustainable long-term, it's absolutely important for them to adopt different kinds of structures and, and organizational methods and strategies that help them as a church to be as effective as they possibly can be. Ministry needs structure to efficiently deploy the people of God to do the work of God. And so today on our show, we have Pastor Mitch Dobson, instructor of the Bible survey courses here at LFBI and an associate pastor on staff at Midtown Baptist Temple. And we're gonna have a conversation about the value of building structures and accountability into ministry and some of the principles necessary for guiding us in that work. And with all that, I wanna introduce Pastor Mitch Dobson. Welcome in. It's an honor to be here. So Mitch has just recently taken over the survey classes, which are those introductory classes, the Old Testament and New Testament courses uh, here at LFBI. And that's gone really well. People are really excited about those classes. A lot of people say those are their favorite classes. And so, man, thank you for, for owning that and uh, really in, in continuing to help us with the excellence of, of the school. Yeah, it's been a joy to, to be a part of it. Uh, obviously, we're striving for a lot of introductory concepts, uh, how, the, how the scriptures fit together, both mm-hmm. chronologically, uh, theologically, doctrinally. And um, so, yeah, it's been, a, it's been great to involve so many different uh, teachers, uh, yet trying to retain some level of uh, consistency uh, so that the students are learning you know, con- uh, consistent principles week mm-hmm. in and week out. Yeah. So our approach, we haven't really talked about this on the show before, but our approach as a Bible Institute, we try to tie together many, many different instructors who've gone really in depth and and have mastered particular books, which I think is pretty unique. I I think it is unique, but it it also lends, uh, as you said, an area of kind of expertise, uh, the ability to bounce ideas off of each other uh, and and making sure we we, we have to remain... um, you know, collective in our approach. We can't be siloed mm-hmm. in those teachings. So it's really important uh, overseeing this course to to make sure that, you know, we're always teaching, for instance, you know, the theme of each book and and the the, the breakdown of the book and where the book fits uh, doctrinally. For instance, right now we're in uh, in the, the second half of the New Testament and how those books lay out in Paul's life, how they uh, interact and mesh with each other. And so it, even though we have instructors that dive deep, uh, we're still trying to keep a level of, like I said before, consistency yeah. and a level of, um, you know, true perspective in the new, in, right now in the New Testament, but certainly in all of Scripture. Yeah, so. and so that that ties perfectly into our topic today because in order to do that, it requires a lot of structure and management and oversight, and so. That's why you're the guy for the Bible survey well, courses is to keep us all in line and well, focused on the right thing. I don't know about that. We're trying, uh, but uh, we're doing our best. Yeah, for sure. So for sure. whenever we do these shows, um, people always want to hear first about the person's life. You know, this is your first time on the show. And so mm-hmm. I want to make sure I share you and your life with with the listeners. And so maybe you can give us a little bit of a background into your salvation, your faith, and and even how you got to where you're at today in the ministry. 
Sure. So I grew up in a home that I guess by definition was a Christian home. I had never been in a church building uh, except for a wedding or a funeral Mm. uh, prior to my salvation. Uh, I did grow up knowing who Jesus was, that he was the son of God. I understood that he died for me or died on the cross and and I guess that he died for me, but I didn't know how that connected. I didn't Mm. know why he needed to die for me. So I was in high school, uh, was in a, a fairly serious or could have been fairly serious car accident. I, I rolled my car, but walked away uninjured. Mm. Uh, wasn't wearing my seatbelt, but still walked away uninjured and knew that the Lord was trying to get a hold of me. And someone shared the gospel and uh, with me. And it was the very first time that a spiritual concept, I had been softened to spiritual things, but it was the first time spiritual concept made logical sense. Mm. So here I am a junior in high school and um, early in my junior year of high school, I'm, I'm kind of pursuing probably a path in mathematics or science. Everything was was clicking uh, kind of intellectually mm-hmm. for me. And so I wasn't leaving the spiritual behind. I was still very interested in in the Lord and, and wanted to, to, to connect with him. But I didn't understand the structure. And once somebody explained the gospel to me in the in the terms that they did, um, a little bit with respect to dispensationalism, a little bit with respect to uh, the kingdom, but but primarily just understanding kind of from a high level what the Lord was accomplishing when he died on the cross, it, it clicked. Um, I didn't get saved that day. I actually, the next day, uh, went to the place where I had wrecked my car hmm. and chose uh, to kneel there and accept Christ as my savior, you know, by myself. So here I am, I'm attending KCBT, you know, uh, what Graceway was formerly called. And mm-hmm. um, um, in the high school class under Pastor Shane Crawford, and that was right about the time that discipleship was, was taking off. So I was actually the first, uh, one of the first high school students to be discipled oh, cool. and kind of that first wave of discipleship. And, uh, you know, it was, a, it was an honor to be a part of that, uh, to, to see people investing in me in a, again, systematically uh, specific way with mm-hmm. structure uh, really resonated with me as a young man. And so uh, we ministered there for years. It was part of Alan Shelby's uh, class with my wife after we got married and um, ended up going back into the high school ministry with Shane Crawford, uh, serving as a high school counselor uh, minister there with him, ultimately uh, being led to go to Missoula, Montana to help start, um, mm-hmm. to be a part of a church plant, uh, start a church up there with Shane as the as the church planter. Uh, we were there for several years, uh, about two and a half years. The Lord brought us back to Kansas City where we were involved in another church plant that was out of uh, KCBT, First Bible Baptist Church in Blue Springs. Mm. And um, my wife and I uh, ministered there. We were very involved. Our kids grew up there. Uh, I led the men's ministry. She led the women's ministry. I was on the board, um, taught a class. You know, we were all in. Mm-hmm. And uh, through, through a series of events uh, that I, I definitely think was of the Lord, you know, he called us uh, to, uh, to Midtown. I had, you know, as I mentioned before, was part of Sam's class, or I'm sorry, part of Alan's class. So I'd known individuals like Sam and, uh, you know, played football with with Kenny Morgan right. and, and Chris Best. That and seems Trish like a Stein. dangerous so activity. It, it was, uh, especially <laughs> Chris. Uh, you know, Chris was, uh, you know, Chris was, I think he played in high school. Uh, and and so he was, uh, he had my number. Yeah. Yeah, he yeah, had my number. It was, it, was, uh, it was flag football, but it's easier to take the flags off if you're laying down, if the, the guy's right, yeah, down. Exactly. So you tackle them and then you rip the flag off. So, but it was good times. It was good yeah. times of ministry. It was a good time. You know, we grew in our, in our faith, certainly in our ministry experience there. But when the Lord brought us here, it, it, it seemed very natural. I was even thinking, you know, in advance of this interview, I think I met you in the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. Um, our paths have, have crossed for, for many a year and, uh, you know, a lot of common friends, a lot of common, uh, you know, relationships. And so when the Lord did actually land our family here at, at Midtown, it was, it seemed very natural for mm-hmm. us. And uh, kind of picked up where we left off with you know with so many folks. So yeah, yeah. So here we are um, teaching one of the adult fellowships. Uh, we call it Whole Heart, and um, also sit on the board uh, here at MBT. I'm the secretary of the board, so I take a lot of uh, minutes to make sure all the the paperwork's in in order and, and mm-hmm. that like. So yeah, yeah. So it's uh, it's 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 
it's really cool. I, I'm so thrilled the Lord brought us here. I'm so lo- thrilled the Lord allows me to be a part of LFBI, and it's quite an honor for sure. And so one of the things about having you on our team, and God has gifted everybody so uniquely on, on every, uh, in every church and, and every pastoral staff and team, but what you have done is you've brought us a sense of, of structure. I mean, you've seen many different kinds of church, uh, right? Many mm-hmm. different kinds of structures, um, different pastors, different personalities. And when you've, you came to our team, uh, it took you maybe a little while, but, but you have really helped us to take all of the, the vision and the, uh, the personalities and the culture and, and focus it to create some organization that helps us to be more efficient. And, and we really appreciate that. So that that's something that you do kind of as a career, as kind of as a lifestyle, yeah. is just yeah, bring organization bit. to things. So maybe you can explain just a little bit about that. Give us a little bit of that history. Yeah, so I, I work uh, in the healthcare profession. So I formerly um, saw patients in the area of prosthetics and orthotics, artificial limbs and mm-hmm. corrective uh, back and extremity braces and moved into a compliance role. So I, just, I, I currently sit as the chief compliance officer of a, of a fairly large healthcare organization. And um, it's it's I've had to learn through my career how structure can create efficiency, but keep people between between the lines, right? Mm-hmm. So in the healthcare realm, compliance is very important. If you do certain things wrong, and if you, certainly if you do them wrong consistently, people literally could go to prison. Mm-hmm. And so sitting in that role and having that experience from a kind of a day job uh, perspective has, has really brought a lot of... Um, uh, a lot of exposure to different structure types. Mm-hmm. Uh, for for years, I was a secretary of one of the uh, the committees for our publicly traded company board. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's a lot of regulatory scrutiny. You got to kind of dot your eyes and cross your t's for well. Sure. And so um, as you know, that coupled with the fact that you know I'm on a, a pretty small team for compliance, and we manage over five thousand uh, employees, making sure we do it right. And so you have to leverage structure. You have to leverage. Um, efficiency, but also the ability to, for one message to get to everyone quickly, uh, correctly, without a lot of change in the message. Mm-hmm. And so those those have always been kind of career challenges that I've had to face. And when it, when I came to Midtown, and I think you were alluding to this, um, what I what I kind of I don't want to say instantly saw, but ca- became very apparent is that the the responsibilities that certain pastors or ministry leaders had was because of their growth uh, process or their growth trajectory. So they may have been over something early because there weren't a lot of pastors or there weren't a lot of leaders. And that growth trajectory now had them over very diverse ministries. And so they had to, they had a lot of people kind of reporting into them and then, you know, talking to a lot of folks. And we were stretched thin. We were stretched thin, but also stretched in different areas. And so one pastor had, was overlapping with another pastor mm-hmm. in an area, for instance, or an, uh, a leader was, had, had two people uh, that they, you know, that they relied on. And those two people also were accountable to other pastors. Like mm-hmm. it was in, in the corporate world, they'd call it a matrix uh, reporting structure. Mm-hmm. And as much as you can avoid a matrix reporting structure, people know who their, you know, their authority is. They know who they specifically ask for, you know, how do you want this done? What's our timeline? What are expectations? What's the vision yeah. around those things? And so I think all I did uh, in in the effort was try to align people and the ministries that they should be over based on their gift sets, based mm-hmm. on on what they needed to focus on, and we just did some some reasonable realignment. It it actually fell into place fairly nicely. We all know who who owns yes. what, and it's very easy to triage uh, communication. It's easy to target communication, and I think. Uh, you know, I think as a result, we've gotten a little more efficient and we've gotten a little more focused. For sure. For sure. What we're talking about um, is the idea that, that we bring some formality to the table in order to better support the vision and the mission that we hold to. In other words, um, you know, in your, in your job, in your career, your job is to retain the mission and the vision of the business 
and yet find ways to make them more efficient, not to lose the policies shouldn't uh, affect or harm or do damage to the mission. Uh, they should support it and strengthen it. And so with that in mind, you brought um, you brought an analogy to my, my, my mind the other day, mm -hmm. and I've heard it before, but, but I would really like for you to describe it for our audience. You talked about this idea of the, the trellis and the vine, mm -hmm. this kind of dualistic analogy, two separate things that, that by necessity need one another in order to be effective. And so maybe you can talk to us a little bit about that illustration and explain how that is relevant to our topic today. Sure. So it actually comes from a, a book by Colin Marshall and Tony Payne. I uh, read it many years ago. And, you know, so they, they kind of get the credit for the, uh, the, the, the metaphor, if you will. Um, but it, it, I won't say it revolutionized my approach to ministry structure, but it refined uh, refined my approach. Mm -hmm. So the premise is obviously in in John chapter fifteen, Jesus refers to himself as the vine, right, yeah. and we're the branches, and and the you know uh, fathers, the husbandmen, etc. And so if you think about Christ as the vine. Um, if the vine doesn't have anything to grow on, it's going to grow along the ground. And if it does that, often it makes it more, um, um, I guess, vulnerable to whether it's, you know, issues with the ground moisture that, you know, we could rot the fruit or certainly certain animals that be trampled upon, be trampled upon et cetera. So a trellis, um, sometimes wooden, sometimes certainly nowadays there are a lot of wires uh, because mm -hmm. they're easy to run. It's it's fairly expensive, um, you know, to to build. But a trellis allows the vine a structure on which to grow. Now the vine is the vine is what's alive. The trellis is not alive, mm -hmm. and the trellis can easily be replaced. The vine it's a little more difficult. I mean. Yeah. You know, you could replace the plant, but it's got to regrow, et cetera. But the the point is that a trellis can look a lot of different ways. There's no life in that trellis, but it provides the structure to allow the vine to flourish. Mm -hmm. And so if the trellis is like structure and ministry, kind of some of the policies and the procedures and even the exercise we went through is making sure the trellises are in rows, mm -hmm. right? So that structure of the trellis along with the rows of the, the, the trellis and vine mm -hmm. allow the fruit to be to be harvested allowed the fruit to reproduce and and so i hope you can see the illustration as you apply it to to a ministry that the trellis is not the most important thing right. the vine is the most important thing the fruit is more important than the trellis so the trellis should only serve as a function to promote good growth mm -hmm. and the minute the trellis doesn't promote good growth the trellis is in the way that structure and that fruit bearing becomes very it's very beautiful when you mm -hmm. see the vine supported by the trellis and the trellis not get in the way mm -hmm. when the vine is full when it's lush with leaves and fruit you can't even see the trellis, right? Yeah. You know the it trellis is it there. Up. It swallows it up, but the trellis is still there supporting mm -hmm. it. And similarly, I, I think philosophically, you know, I believe that these types of ministries, structure type, you know, people like myself who come in maybe and look at the alignment or or those types of things. I do a lot in, in MBT with respect to communication and making sure we've got people kind of going the right direction. Mm-hmm has to be driven by 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 vision has to be yeah. driven by the pastor it cannot be driven by the trellis or the structure and i do think that's where some people get for sure. kind of off right and they they start elevating the trellis above the fruit. Well, if we just build a bigger trellis, we'll grow more fruit. Oh, maybe, maybe not. You know, maybe you need to divide the plant or mm, something, right? Mm -hmm. So um, so there's, again, there's a lot of, of truth in that simple yeah. metaphor. And, uh, but but it's, it's really been, uh, for me, again, kind of uh, allowed me to hone or focus that, that the vision, the vine has to be the most important thing. Right, for sure. What are the biblical structures that are absolutely consequential that really can't be changed? What are the things that we know from the Bible that provide us with church structure that really that we can't we they're, they're non-negotiables? 
to your specific question about non-negotiables, obviously, you know, Scripture is very clear that there is headship of the pastor. Mm -hmm. And so um, sometimes uh, people will allow, uh, in certain churches, they'll allow the board to have more uh, say or more authority than the pastor, and that's a that's a dangerous place to be. The pastor needs to be the head mm-hmm. of of the church, right? You need to have. Uh, I, I don't remember anywhere in scripture that says we have to have an adult Sunday school or, or right. Like, right. I don't. Yeah. I, yeah, but but there are. But we we shouldn't forsake you know the assembling, right? Mm-hmm. So we do need to get together consistently. There is principle with respect to to taking up offering or or having a, a, a an avenue for people to give to fulfill uh, certain that aspect mm-hmm. of of their spiritual walk right uh, certainly worship some some form of praise and worship so there are uh, the preaching of the word right mm-hmm. there are certain things that are simply non-negotiables and uh, I think those are pretty clear in scripture uh, where we see you know some flexibility if you will or some some things we have to be careful about not inhibiting that structure um you know go back to the illustration of the board so if i can use just a kind of a made up example mm-hmm. Pastor says we're going to focus in 2023 on evangelism, and so uh, you know it's going to be an absolute focus. So he goes to the board and says we need to buy a shuttle bus. We're going to buy a shuttle bus because we're going to use the shuttle bus to bring folks in, and so we can preach the gospel to them. Mm-hmm. He takes that proposal to the board under their structure, under their governance as a nonprofit organization. But the board's not feeling it. The board doesn't see it like they're the church is maybe not strapped for cash, but they weren't planning on buying a you yeah. know a shuttle bus, mm-hmm. uh, so they push back on the pastor a little bit, which I think is can and should be healthy, yeah. right? In that scenario, they're not challenging the vision of the pastor of evangelism, which is a non-negotiable. The church mm-hmm. should have and do, have evangelists and be doing the work of evangelists, right? But what they are saying is not sure that the shuttle bus is the right tool, or in this example, the right trellis for the ministry to take place. Mm-hmm. And that's a that's an interesting um, balance that has mm-hmm. to take place because the pastor may feel very passionately that the Lord has made it clear. So I would say in this example, the board and the pastor need to sit down and pray, earnestly pray for the Lord to provide the funds or provide a good deal, or maybe the Lord wants to gift them uh, a shuttle bus, right? So that balance between the pastor and the structure, specifically in this example of the board, is is always important. Mm. But but the board should not thwart the vision of the pastor, right? right? He is the head of the local church. And so as a result, they may say something like, are you sure we need to buy a shuttle bus? Could we do this? Could we do that? Mm-hmm. This is what we do have as a budget. Let's strategize. Let's get together with the other pastors if if there are multiple pastors and work through what a strategy might, an affordable strategy might be. And that's kind of the flexibility, yeah. right? But still maintaining the headship, the authority in the church that's important. So, you know, another example, um, you know, specifically kind of on the realm of policy and procedure is, you know, we consider ourselves under our principles a house of prayer. And so on Tuesday night, you know, we get together and we have a wonderful prayer service. And it's really a blessing to see um, so many people praying well after the service is done. Now, we don't want to thwart that. We don't want to stop that. We want to be a house of prayer. Mm -hmm. But we're also not going to stay here till 2.30 or 3 in the morning, right? At some point, that needs to end the building needs to be shut down. It needs to be locked. So we're not going to stop it as soon as the prayer service is over and saying, y'all don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. But we're also not, we're going to give room under a policy right. or a process to allow prayer to continue. But at some point it's going to have, it's going to, it's going to need yeah. to, to, to cease at least in this place at this time. Yeah. yeah. That's, those are really great illustrations of balancing policy, procedure, and pastoral leadership, right? You know, so, and those are all things worth considering. And, and, and those things aren't always healthy in churches. Those, those dynamics are not always approached in a healthy way. And I think your description of the board is a really good one because I'm sure a lot of pastors listening have seen and faced really difficult situations with, with board members and contention. And so at some level, 
there has to be a culture of submission. There has to be a, a desire for the pastor to submit to the board at some level and respect them, respect the authority that God has given them. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, there is a headship principle, and they have to find a way to enact the vision of the pastor. And if he's insistent that it's a shuttle, then, okay, well, let's work towards those ends because mm-hmm. God's anointed you as the the person to lead us in this charge. And so those things are really, really difficult um, mm-hmm. to, to manage sometimes. And, and it takes a lot of grace, I think, is, yeah, is something, sure. something worth us at least mentioning here before we get into details, is that there's a lot of grace involved. And there has to also be in our heart, a principle for unity, a desire for unity that we abide by as individuals. For sure. And one of the things, kind of the underlying principles that I use with respect to the board and the way I approach it is the board members are members of the church, right? Mm-hmm. And they are uh, submitted to and need to be submitted to the pastor. But inversely, and, I th- and you already touched on it, the pastor needs to be submitted to the entire board, not to me as an individual board member, but he needs to be submitted to the collective of the board. And so what I mean by that is is another example. Let's say you know senior pastor in X church uh, slips on some ice or rain or whatever, slips and, and hits their head on the stairs go to the hospital, whole deal, get MRI, yeah, some, something's happened. Yeah. An accident has occurred. And the pastor fundamentally changes his personality. He's now teaching things he didn't used to teach. He's believing things he didn't used to believe, most likely tied to a head injury, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or heaven forbid, some sort of sin situation, right? right. The board has to have the authority to replace or deal with as appropriate those employment situations because almost always the pastor is employed by the church and as a result the the board has a responsibility to um to replace that pastor mm-hmm. if they go astray. Mm-hmm. This is where tension is o- often created, right? Because the pastor needs to have the heart of the board members. The board mem- members need to have the heart of the pastor, the unity, right? And and a lot of grace and, and a lot of understanding and, and honestly good communication. So mm-hmm. it, it, I've been part of secular board discussions that have gone very sideways. I've been, I'm, I'm actually the president-elect of our trade association. I sit, I'm, a, I'm the uh, treasurer of a charity here in Kansas City, uh, sit on their board. I've seen a lot of board discussions go sideways, and they almost always go sideways when someone believes that the other entity, the other party, doesn't have their heart or isn't aligned on the mission. Yeah. And so keeping that close and saying things like, you know, if Sam presents a proposal that I don't understand or or I don't uh, fully wrap my head around and, and feel like I need to understand it to approve it, to vote on the record as an agent, as a representative of this body before the state and in good conscience, but before the people that have given their money, right, mm-hmm. to the church, I need to ask questions, but do it in a non-accusatory way. Yeah. So I, I certainly am not going to say, what are you thinking? Yeah, but I am going to say explain explain your logic a little more, or why is it that you didn't go this direction, or have you considered going that direction? And those that kind of tone in a board softens things, yes. right? It, it is graceful. It is a perspective that allows the person to further communicate. And anytime there starts to get contention, anytime there starts to get emotion in a board a board meeting, it, it can be it can be damaging. Now, I want to ask a little bit, too, about the idea of spiritual gifts, mm-hmm. because I think spiritual gifting does play a, a, a part in um, one's ability to create structure. And so in the Bible, there's this spiritual gift referred to as governance, which uh, I, I want you to define for us, but but it it's a help in terms of the administrative aspects of, of right. church life. And so maybe you could tell us a little bit about the spiritual gift of governance. Yeah, so uh, it's in you know in 1 Corinthians uh, 12, um, and, and specifically in 28, uh, Scripture talks about that there are you know places for ministers and leaders in the church, and one of those aspects is this concept of government. Governance, at its core, actually means oversight, mm-hmm. right? Uh, structural oversight, and the creation of the structure that allows 
people within that structure to flourish, right? right. We're back to that same same concept. So policies uh, and laws, et cetera, at a national, state, and county level are, are supposed to be designed to set guardrails and parameters so people know how to how to live and and do their life uh, you know with it, with freedom yeah. and with with limits to that freedom as compared to thwarting their freedom right and so that same concept of governance or government is is spiritual and there needs to be folk there there needs to be individuals in a body um, that have some level of either ongoing gifting or maybe it's supernatural temporary gifting that the Lord gives them for these kinds of yeah. uh, these kinds of roles board mm-hmm. roles administrative roles in the church but again those should be generally seen in in kind of in the back it's it's interesting because that concept is actually at the end of the other the other list, right? Yeah. Um, so it's 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 arguably the least, right? So again, we should be behind the scenes with these kinds of things, p- pushing forward the ministry and creating structure. The the Greek word, not that that's overly important, but the Greek word I think does give us a little bit of a of a, a some clarity here that it echoes to a pilot of a big ship. Hmm. And so, um, so a pilot is not the captain of the ship. The pilot of the ship does what the captain says. Mm. And so, again, the structure should only be led from the Lord through the leadership of the senior pastor, through b- the pastoral team, and then the government, the, the governance structure should promote that or direct it within those guardrails. Hey, thank you so much for listening to the show. We're going to pause right here for just a second so we can hear from one of our students from the Living Faith Bible Institute. Hi, my name is Miles Cheadle, and LFBI is an incredible asset for anybody that wants to, to learn and to grow in their knowledge of the Word of God, and not just that, but to apply it uh, in ministry and to grow as a minister. Uh, you have incredible uh, preachers and pastors and missionaries uh, that aren't just teaching the Word of God, but they, they live it out in their everyday lives. And so it makes the insights that they share incredibly practical uh, for day-to-day ministry. Uh, again, this is a place to, to continually be challenged in the Word. Uh, we don't want to be people that go stagnant in our walks. Uh, we need to be put in remembrance. And so even if you say, man, I learned these things years ago, well, we need to be put in remembrance and to continue to trust God to grow and to stretch us and to equip us invest in others. And so if you haven't already, this is something that you want to be a part of. Uh, And so I just encourage you to consider that. Uh, Thank you. Bye. If that interests you at all, please visit lfbi.org and consider enrolling in classes. How does a a church go about finding these kinds of people? Or or is it, you know, I think a lot of times gifting just kind of rises to the surface Mm -hmm. and they kind of kind of their face is just shown and suddenly there's an epiphany. Oh, this is the person that can help with this. Um, but I think there's a lot of churches who are, you know, kind of in a place where they're not 100% sure uh, how to establish those structures or find those people that are able to help. Um, what would you say a pastor should be considering um, when they're determining who can help create structure in their church? So obviously people need to be trustworthy. Um, as a board member, you know, at MBT, I get information and in, in discerning, I get information that I can't and really shouldn't share with mm-hmm. the general populace, right? You need someone that's discerning, that, mm-hmm. that's spiritually discerning, not necessarily discerning in the sense of the ability to figure out what's going on, but the ability to kind of keep that yeah. you know, close and not, you know, they're discerning on what they share and with whom they share it. Um, obviously, trustworthy, faithfulness, um, those are concepts that are laid out in scripture that we see with deacons, we see with pastors, and, you know, they're, they're grave, they're sober, yeah. they tend to be more stable. Uh, kind of emotional people. So generally, you're looking for folks not necessarily that have administrative responsibilities in their career. Sometimes they could be a salesperson or somebody else that maybe doesn't have quote you know accounting uh, accounting or gift management. or management gifts, but they they exercise those gifts well. And just in the same way, a pastor is going to look to see who could be maybe start teaching in certain um, classes or have certain authority over 
the children's ministry, mm-hmm. the, the pastor's going to need to rely on the Holy Spirit, you know, kind of shining a little bit of a spiritual light on yeah. an individual that's, okay, that person maybe should should be, you know, a board member, should be over administrative processes. What we generally see in churches is that business owners or businessmen, almost always bu- businessmen, end up in these roles. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's probably because the pastors have a kind of a tangible thing that they can see in their life that they can point to that not necessarily that they're successful, but that they can manage stress. They can manage through those things. But that's not always the same as an entrepreneur, for instance, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Some pastors uh, bring in a lot of visionary types uh, to the board, and that can be that could potentially be a problem because now you've got the visionary in a in a pastor who is con, you know conflicted with a visionary who right. wants to see it a different way. Yeah. So they need to be very submitted uh, individuals. They need to be able to uh, to not be a yes man, but need to understand the point at which they've made they've made their point, they've said their piece, and they've got to trust that the Lord is mm-hmm. at work. And yeah. so those are some of the kind of the key things that I would I would argue are, are kind of key characteristics of um, you know of people that kind of fit in that. This ought to be someone that people in the congregation can trust, can bring their concerns to, that they can ask questions of and have really good and sometimes hard questions, uh, yeah. uh, hard discussions. Yeah, yeah, that's that's really good. And I, I think I really just wanted to hear you distinguish between the fact that skills and gifts are different. You know, when we're talking mm-hmm. about spiritual things, someone sure. might be very skilled in an area, but there has to be spiritual evidence that they are fit for, for sure. the position and fit for those responsibilities. And so we talked a lot about we talked a lot about like the board as kind of a as a as a picture type for types of structure. But in terms of the value of accountability and structure in ministry. Specifically, what do we mean by that? Board included, the board stuff included. Sure, but, sure. but what are some other things that fall into, hey, we need to create uh, principles, uh, we need to create roles and responsibilities, we need to create organi- organizational structures to help us to get these things done? What does that look like? Explain some of those things. Sure. So, um, so obviously, God is not the author of confusion, right? Mm-hmm. He is. Uh, I, I don't even remember how many times Paul talks about setting things in order or putting things in order when he comes, etc. Right? Yeah. He he. That is a bit of a theme in his letters that order is important, mm-hmm. right? And uh, certainly in First Corinthians twelve, he likens uh, not just the the gifts and that like, but the 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 church as a body. Yeah. And uh, so, as I mentioned at the the top of the show, you know, come from a healthcare background, not a doctor, but had to take a gross anatomy class, for instance. Mm-hmm. Um, and the body is an amazing, um, you know, machine, if you will. Uh, it's very consistent. Uh, that the, the uh, people from you know one person to an ex to you know over centuries there's a lot of structure that the Lord has put into into the physical body and mm-hmm. and obviously the Lord uses that through the Apostle Paul to to liken the church to that right yeah. and so there does need to in a similar way the eye and the ear or the smelling all needs to be they all need to have their functions right that that we need to be careful how we define those we need to be not not illustratively, but we just need to make sure that the eye continues doing the work of the eye. It doesn't mean that in a in a church body, somebody can't swing over and help in another ministry, but there needs to be a structure to it. Yeah. Now, here's a, a kind of important question I want to ask you is policies and, and principles. Uh, when do we need, when do we need policies? Like at what point do we need to institute policies? Because I think around here, we talk about this a lot, but but as much as possible, we want to provide liberty. We want the vine to grow as it will. We don't. We don't want to impede it. We don't want to accidentally obstruct it. Um, we, we don't want to keep people from praying if there's opportunity to pray. We don't want to send them home. Um, and so we want to function principally. But what at what point do you need to determine that a policy is necessary here? So the first thing that I usually consider with respect to a policy is its outward. Um, not focus, but its its function is outwardly. So, if the probably the best example that most people use, we're going to do background checks on the people that work with our kids, mm-hmm. right? Now, 
there's an outward component of that, an outward accountability component to that, to the government, to to the general population, so that if anyone walks in and brings their kid into the church and they're going to be in kid town, they're, they know the people in that church have been, have gone through a background yeah. check, right? So that's a policy, mm-hmm. right, that we have. Pretty... Pretty rigid policy, yeah. right? I mean, we're not gonna we're not we're not gonna move that one. Right now, we have other policies that maybe the church is open on certain days and it's locked on certain days. But if an event comes up, obviously, it gets unlocked and and you know the alarm gets shut off, etc. Like there, we there, make exceptions. We make exceptions. So so in that example, the policy shouldn't be so rigid that says the church is closed on Monday. It's generally the church is closed on Monday and with exception and this event happens or, mm-hmm. or what have you. So mm-hmm. the policies that need to be rigid and gen- genuinely need to be rigid should stay rigid. But policies that that um, if you have a policy that is overly restrictive, then it's probably not written well. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so now again, we're going to be restrictive on background checks for our kids, sure. so that's got to be tight. Yeah. But if we write a policy that that people keep kind of bumping their head into uh, conceptually, like, well, why is the policy restricting this yeah. when it's a reasonable thing I want to do? And if it suffocates the growth of the vine, for sure, right. for sure. If it suffoc if it suffocates or thwarts it in any way, right? Um, then then the policy really needs to be reevaluated. The nature of the policy. So I guess maybe the takeaway from that is is don't let a policy that was written a few years ago stay that way if it needs to change. If there's right? evidence that if it's not ev- allowing uh, the, right. the spiritual things of the church to thrive. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So it's not just a mo- it's not just a concept of when a policy is needed or not. Again, outward facing. So, for instance, we have a policy that we pass a budget mm-hmm. every year, right? That we prepare a budget and we pass a budget. We have spending limits. Uh, our pastor has a spending limit that is constrained by the board. It's 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 significant enough that he can function and do what he needs to do. But if it's a kind of a major investment, he needs to run it by the board, or it needs to have been in the budget. Mm-hmm. And so, as a result. That gives him an amazing amount of flexibility day to day. And only the policy is only engaged, the spending limit policy is only engaged on a very incremental or yeah. very intermittent rather right. basis, right? Where it's it's only occasionally brought to, to the forefront where, okay, well, I can't spend, you know, Pastor Sam can't go out and just buy a shuttle bus unless it was within the budget. He right. can't just unilaterally do that. He would need to bring that to the board and, and we would mm-hmm. talk about it, right? Mm-hmm. So, but with inflation, if that spending limit cap starts to inhibit him, maybe we need to look at moving that cap up another $1,000 or $500 or whatever, right? Sure. We don't, we're not going to stay relegated to the past and say, well, it's always been this, so it's always going to stay that. You know, we can reevaluate that, but the principle in this case of a spending cap is still, or or the expense being part of the budget is still very important. Yeah. And I think we know uh, in church life, there are people that are very prone to policy. They're policy oriented. Um, and, and it even sometimes spills over into the spiritual things and, and their church becomes legalistic, you know, even at the spiritual level, they, they structure things to death and it kills the life of a church. Um, and so, you know, understanding or having a proper perspective of what deserves policy, but what, what areas need to be left open in space for for liberty and for ministry and for the gospel. Ultimately, if the vine is the gospel of Jesus Christ, how does that go forth? And so I think that's a really important perspective to have. Yeah, for for sure. And I would I think it's important for those in the, that that develop or I guess routinely interact with policy at a church to bounce those ideas off of other pastors, off of mm-hmm. other administrators at other churches. You know, that is part of the value of a fellowship. That is the, the value of the body, the, the broader body of Christ to, mm-hmm. to say, how are you all handling this? How are you all addressing that? And and there is wisdom in the multitude of counselors in, in that way. And um, there is the ability to make sure that we're going to we're going to double check with our peer mm-hmm. that we're actually going to create something that allows the vine to thrive. You know, with that in mind, with the idea of structure and authority, 
Uh, can you explain what a healthy pastoral team or leadership team looks like? Because obviously there is some debate, debate and I've, we talked about this on the show before, between a plurality of leadership uh, versus, you know, a single authority um, that kind of does function unilaterally in terms of the pastoral team and the effort that they're making together. And so what would you describe, if you were to describe a healthy uh, example of the way that pastors should interact with each other and relate to the head pastor of the church, what would that look like? And 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 um, put put some guardrails on that that might help us. Yeah, I would say the principle that I that I already talked about with respect to the pastor being subject not to any specific or submitted to not any specific board member, but to the board collectively. I think is a similar principle. Mm -hmm. um, so you know, in my experience. When we the pastors get together and we talk, our senior pastor is very interested in getting the perspectives of those who feel like they have, um, you know, experience or um, you know, experience in that matter, right? Insight, or, uh, yeah, insight in that in that situation, and trusting that those that don't aren't just you know chiming in because they want to be heard, and. Through that process, a lot of things get out on the table, a lot of open dialogue happens, and as a result, the senior pastor can can look at that and have great peace, I believe. I, I've experienced it not in, in my, I'm not a senior pastor, I've not experienced it in my own heart, but I've seen in Sam, in our case, the, the, the peace that can come over him when everyone is aligned. Yeah. He refers to it as the group email, right? Yeah. We all get the group email and we're, we're aligned. And if somebody didn't get the email and they have a legitimate concern, they put that out on the table, there's almost always an, uh, a reasonable answer to mm -hmm. it, right? But one of the key components is the pastors need to speak up t to their area of exposure, their area of, you know, maybe they saw the interaction between these two people at one point, and that is an important component in the broader yeah, matter yeah. or something, right? Or maybe they've had experience in a in their church, in their class, in their ministry, or a previous church, in their class or ministry that allows them to say, Boy, this is a lot like this other situation, and it ended, it ended really badly. Yeah. I'm not sure we would want to go there. And so that... Um, I wouldn't necessarily call it a plurality. I know that's a bit of a of a of a catchphrase, a plurality of leadership, but it's a plurality of perspective. Yeah. And uh, that allows the senior pastor to hone the per the the perspective, the decision making perspective mm -hmm. that's often very important. And in those meetings, sometimes it feels like a conversation or a topic can drag on, but it's important to make sure that everybody has perspective on that on that situation has an opportunity to speak. In a smaller church, that may be three people. In a larger church, it may be seven, eight, nine people mm -hmm. that get a chance to comment on it, and we're you're kind of talking back and forth and making sure that all the the relevant components get out on the table. But that multiplicity of perspectives. Yeah. Yeah. really can help yes. um, the decision-making process. Yeah, and I think sure. knowing that everybody has collaborated together in that way, it gives a lot of peace and unity to everyone else involved because if if there are decisions that are being made that are siloed that affect other people, it can build resentment in people's hearts, even sure. immature people. And so I think it's really helpful to have an environment where everyone is contributing. And then at the end of the day, we're saying, you know, I may not agree on every point, but because we've talked about it, um, I can support it and I can get behind it. Let's move forward and I'll trust the Lord for the rest. Yeah, so in, in the kind of in the business world, they would call it, you know, consensus-driven conversation, right? Mm -hmm. And and that often has kind of a negative connotation, both in, in business and in, in the pastor room, if you will, um, because... It, it, the, the sentiment is everybody needs to be on board with 100% of the concept, and you just nailed it. You don't have to be. You have to have faith. You have to have trust in the structure. Mm -hmm. You have to have gotten your, your points out on the table and trust that in this case, the senior pastor has heard that and has taken that into consideration. Yes. Yeah. And, and there is a lot, and I've really respected this about our pastoral team, that people will say, I'm not sure I have a strong opinion about that. I don't, I don't you know, I, have, I haven't been involved. I, I don't even know that person that or that situation. And and I just, I defer to you all. Yeah. You know, I trust you. Yeah. You yeah. know, those kind of comments are made a lot. And it's really important to be able to just know that we can do that and just, you know, you tell me what you need me to do and I'm in, yeah. you know. Yeah, that kind of trust is really important. Sure.
In closing, just uh, by way of addressing the audience, maybe um, they're Bible student, uh, Bible Institute students, uh, maybe they're just members of a local church. Why is talking about this openly important? Why is it? Why is this significant to our listeners um, as they listen? Well, as we talked about with the the trellis and the vine, the the vine obviously can be alive without the trellis, mm-hmm. and at some point, the vine needs the trellis, but to to flourish, but you can't build the trellis to choke the vine. And I see that way too many times, especially with young, exuberant uh, believers, developing leaders. It's kind of a, if you build it, they will come mentality. So they over invest in infrastructure, they over invest in structure, and they actually thwart kill, limit the vine re- reproduction mm-hmm. because they're, they've spent all of their free time developing policies or all their free time developing this or this structure. The structure, the form should flow out of the function, yeah. out of the gift sets of the people. At some point, people will realize, hey, we need to put some structure to this, especially within a church plant. You've got to have freedom for life and freedom for replication and reproduction. That is more important yeah. than the structure. The yeah. structure will come in time. And so I, I think probably my biggest concern, if you will, is that the audience hears from this message that you need to over-invest in structure. You don't need to over-invest in structure. You need to just make sure the trellis is strong enough and structured enough to support the vine. Yeah. And 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 a and the evidence of that is a flourishing vine, is a fruitful vine. If you have too much structure, if you have invested too much and you're choking the vine, you will see that, and you may need to pull back on some of that and redeploy those resources in spiritual endeavors, mm. not logistical, administrative, budgetary invest uh, endeavors. Fantastic. Mitch, thank you so much thank for you. hanging out with me. I know this is beneficial to people. It's a little bit different conversation that we've had before, but I think it's really profitable for growing leaders to have a, their mind around the way this works a little bit. And so thank you for helping us do that. Well, thank you for having me. It's an honor to be here. And we want to thank you as well for hanging out with us for this episode of The Postscript. And if you are a growing leader, um, if you are in a local church and you recognize that, hey, uh, I need to be invested in so I can learn how to lead, um, I want to I want to participate in the vine work and the trellis work. I want to put my hand to the plow. Man, please, uh, first, just, sit down with your pastor and make sure that you communicate that you have a desire to grow. Uh, And we also want to offer to you an opportunity to be a part of Living Faith Bible Institute as well. We are a supplemental Bible school. We want to come alongside your local church and make an investment in you in terms of knowledge and teaching. And and we want to, to, to help you to grow in your understanding of the Bible, but as well as how to apply it. And so you can learn more about that at lfbi.org. Um, where you'll learn about our classes, our program, uh, our beliefs. Um, But we want to invite you to come hang out with us. But with all that said, we love you. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you again next week for another episode of The Postscript. God bless. Thanks for listening to The Postscript. If you enjoy the show, please leave us a rating and review in order to help other people find our podcast. If you value this show, Please help us continue creating content by supporting Living Faith Bible Institute at lfbi.org support.